One of the best ones I've listened to recently was the guy from Wyoming Whiskey. Oh, I remember yeah. his name. Hey, yeah, that story's great. Yeah, that was awesome. As soon as I listened to that, he's like, my email address is on the website. So I emailed him because I'm always looking for more barrels. And he's like, oh, yeah, here, I'll put you on contact with this guy. And now we're buying all the barrels from him. So, no way. Yeah, it's pretty oh, that's sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. See, Bourbon Pursuit, making dreams come true. It is. That's helping right. businesses grow. Except ours. <laughs> well, thanks. Except ours. <laughs> <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. We're all too familiar with the barrel and its impact on whiskey, but what about its life after whiskey? Actually, there's quite a lot of life. These barrels can be used for aging other spirits, beer, furniture, barbecue smoking chips. The list is probably endless. But did you ever stop to think how those used barrels go from one man's trash to another man's treasure? Well, there's one company that has made a name for themselves, and that's Midwest Barrel Company. Ben and Jessica Lowski join the show to talk about how Ben got into the used barrel business and some of the economics behind it. And if you ever find yourself glued to an episode of Storage Wars or Pawn Stars, you'll love to hear how Ben stumbled into the used barrel business and everything else he tried to flip in the process. And today, Midwest Barrel Company is brokering tons of used barrels and he talks about how he develops his sales pipeline and acquires new customers. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Philip Bosch, who writes me on Twitter. That's at Phil Bosch, P-I-H-I-L-B-O-S-C-H. I have no idea how to ask, so allow me to dazzle and confuse. Higher price whiskey doesn't equate to higher quality whiskey. At what price point or range does whiskey quality begin to consistently not keep up with a high dollar amount above 60, above 80? Question mark. So that's a great question, Philip, and thank you for the support as always. I got to tell you that we are in a paradoxical shift of pricing in American whiskey. There's a lot of people who have invested serious money into buying barrels, into contract distillation, but they don't own the equipment. They don't own the bottling lines. And so they have to pay people significant fees to get access to that whiskey and to bottle it. And so their actual cost into the bottle could be as much as $60, depending on how old the whiskey is. Now, that is different than, say, Four Roses, which has hundreds of thousands of those bottles. They own the facilities. They control every dollar from the corn to the scheduled maintenance on the distillery. And they're able to put that same bottle out with probably $6 and to $12 in raw cost, and then some taxes, of course, and then the rest goes to marketing. So they're able to come out with a single barrel at 30 bucks. Now, there's still significant pricing there. Don't get me wrong. But that if Four Roses were to sell that same product, the Four Roses single barrel, to someone in a non-distiller capacity, that bottle goes from being a $30 bottle to $60, $70, $80, depending depending on the contract they have with on the whiskey. So that's why we see so much shift in in whiskey. So you can't really put a price on quality, but I'll tell you, there's a lot better bourbon out there that's under 60 bucks, then people realize and it's all distilled at these distilleries. So it always surprises people to find out that they don't have to spend a ton of money, but yet they still want to spend a lot of money. But I would say to really answer that question for you, to me, the way to go about it is where does super premium quality begin from a price perspective? And I got to say, probably the easy answer on that one would be 60 to 80. But again, just because it's expensive does not mean it's going to be any good. But we are consistently seeing that people who are investing in whiskey and investing in good whiskey, they are putting it out $60, $80. Interestingly, a lot of the bad whiskey is like 125 The 125 to $150 amount I saw more bad whiskey from that price point 
than any other price point this year. So I found that to be pretty interesting. But that's a great question. Thank you very much, Phil Bosch. If you would like to be like Phil, hit me up on Twitter or fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if you have a question, send it to me. And if I like it, I'll read it on the air. Till next week. Cheers. Always find what you love at Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or a new single barrel bourbon to try with some help from one of their friendly guides. And with every bottle comes the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia North Carolina. Drink responsibly and be 21. It's that time of the year where everybody started to make their vacation plans on visiting Kentucky, the mecca of bourbon. And if you are coming to Kentucky, you need to make sure you visit us at Pursuit Spirits in Louisville. We're right in the heart of Clifton, near Butchertown and Nulu, and only just a few miles away from downtown Louisville. But when you do come, you need to book your experience to go do our whole shebang. This is the one that's really the star of the show. You get a full-on tasting. You get to do your own personal barrel selection experience. And you get to grab a whiskey thief and fill your bottle directly from the barrel. We're doing something completely brand new that nobody else is doing here in bourbon country. Plus, you get a free sweet tasting glass at the end of it. I guarantee you, you're going to end up being one of the many people that's also leaving us a five-star review. So make sure you come and check us out. You can book your reservation by going to PursuitSpirits.com and clicking the Visit Us button. Have you tried to identify specific notes in bourbon when nosing and tasting, but just come up empty? Well, you can train your nose to find all those nuances with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. So you can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma made from chemicals. Head over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter the code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. From Jim Beam to Maker's Mark, their brand and label are the only things more iconic than a bourbon's taste. And that's why we've partnered with Sticker Mountain, a company focused on helping you make a statement with your labels and stickers. Embracing cutting-edge embellishment technology allows them to add foil, raise texture, and more to make your product stand out, all at competitive prices with market-leading turnaround and customer service that treats you like a business partner. And that's why right now you can get 10% off your order with coupon code STICKYBOURBON at StickerMountain.com. See the difference they can make for you and your business at StickerMountain.com using coupon code STICKYBOURBON. Give 270 presents Whiskey Wednesdays Round 10, The Bourbon Vault. 24 amazing bourbons behind our 24 locker doors. For just $5 a ticket, you could score a bottle of Happy Van Winkle, a six-bottle Weller Vertical, and even a bottle of Old Forester Birthday Bourbon. Plus, each week, five lucky winners move closer to the ultimate grand prize, the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. For tickets, visit give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Welcome back, everybody. It's another brand new episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great. Good, you know. good. You ready to talk some barrels today? That's my favorite part of the whole process. <laughs> it really is. Barrels. I mean, because that's where all the magic happens. You know, all these distilleries, they romanticize distilling. No, it's good. The distilling part is important, but you talk, magic, to, you talk to Vendome, they're going to have a word with you. Here, so. Well, I mean, you need that part to be important. <laughs> where all the flavors coming from is the barrel. We found that out with our brand and 
doing barrel picks and all this and that, it's like, they say it's 70% flavor distillation, 30%. I think it's reversed. Oh, 30%. No, no, no. It's, it's always more oak than the, the distillation. Well, it depends who you asked. If you ask the barrel companies, they say it's flavor. They're going to say if, that. If it's uh, distillers. You ask, you ask firm solutions, it's going to say. And they'll say it's the a yeast. yeast. Yes. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, it's whoever's selling to you. It tells us it's the most important. But, but what I'm going to really love about today's guest, and we've never had anything like this on the show before, is trying to figure out. Well, now that bourbon and they use these new cooperage, used oak one time, what the hell happens to it? Right? I mean, we've talked to other different distilleries, you know, like Brown Foreman and you know, all them, like they've got other Scotch brands, so they'll go ahead and they'll ship it over across these. Some of it gets made into furniture, but people we have on the podcast today, like they live and breathe this every single day. And they've got a really interesting story about how they found out that there actually was money in a used barrel market too. Yeah. You know, sometimes bourbon industry... I don't know if it's a valid concern, but some of the concern is that new charred oak barrel being very resource heavy, wasting that brand new white oak tree. But there's so many different markets out there for the that end product. And so I think this will be a fascinating episode so people can understand like there's life beyond just that barrel of whiskey just for bourbon. It goes on to be a plethora of different things. We use every part of the pig when we harvest it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's a, I'm sure that's exactly how they want to correlate it. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's go ahead and introduce our guests today. So today on the show, we have Ben and Jessica Lowski. Ben is the founder and president of Midwest Barrel Company, and Jessica is their CEO and co-founder as well. So Ben and Jessica, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, so happy to be here. For sure. So before we get into the business and how it works and everything like that, you all are also just like brand new to being here in Louisville as well, right? I mean, you all had your kind of start in Nebraska. So kind of talk about how'd you get to Nebraska? Is that where you both grew up? Yeah, so we were both born and raised in Nebraska, grew up in Lincoln. Lincoln is about an hour south of Omaha, Nebraska. So it'd kind of be like growing up in Lexington here. It's a college town. It's Midwestern. It's got a lot of history, but all of our families are still there today. Oh, you left them all behind. We did. Come to the promised land. The That's one state are... I haven't been to is Nebraska. I can't believe I've never been there. We were there last week for a funeral and the thermometer on the car said 109. We were in the middle of Nebraska, so you're not missing. Oh, oh gosh. gosh. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty rough. But it was hot here too, but it's just terrible. Tulsa's awesome. We get, it's Kenny's favorite brewery is there at Prairie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Prairie. Prairie. We, we just did a collab with them. Where at? Prairie. Artisan Ales. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're... They're top of my list of, of yeah. favorite beers as well. They're killer. So I kind of want to dive in just a little bit now. So talk about the origin of this because you're different than anybody else. It's not like you were born into the bourbon business or just had this idea. So kind of talk about the birth of how you all found life in bourbon barrels and, and the bourbon trading business, bourbon barrel trading business, I guess you could say. Well, Ben, why don't you tell your version of the story and then I'll add my version. <laughs> that, that sounds like a great idea. So a lot of people ask us, like, how did you decide you're going to sell barrels? But it never actually turned out that way. We never thought we were going to be in the business of buying and selling used bourbon barrels, whiskey barrels, wine barrels. We just happened to fall into it. So when I was going to school at the University of Nebraska, I was working on my master's and my PhD at the time. Jess was working a full-time corporate job traveling all over the country, seemed like every day of the week. And I had a little extra time in my schedule. We didn't have any children yet. So I started to go to like auctions and estate sales and I started buying, I think you said shit. And, <laughs> in the uh, very beginning, early. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, you look on Facebook Marketplace and it's like, what can we get rid of in my house today? Right. That's so I would go to these. sucker for that place. I can't stand it. <laughs> he would have been your main supplier. Yeah. <laughs> I would take my truck. I would load my truck up with so much stuff and it'd be everything from, I go to like state auctions where they'd be selling like file cabinets and desks and stuff like that. Or I'd go to a, a farm auction, I'd buy tractors or lawnmowers. Oh, you're buying big stuff. Yeah, it started out small, but it eventually got, like I just kept making money and rolling into the next purchase. So I would buy more and more or bigger things, but it ranged from, yeah, like tractors to furniture to antiques to- Boats. Boats, uh, other vehicles, things like that. And all right, is this, I feel like we're starting this thing like I'm going to trade up from a paperclip to a pen to a whatever. I mean, is that? It's pretty much what happened. So, my very first thing I purchased was like this pull behind sprayer and the pump on it was broken. And I, I didn't ever think I was going to fix it and resell it, but I was bored when I, so I started tinkering with it. I'm like, oh man, I just fixed this thing. Was it a Femco? It was. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't have, I didn't have to replace the pump or anything. I just, the, some wires got disconnected or something. It was super simple to fix. And at that time, Craigslist was like the only way to sell stuff online. Facebook Marketplace wasn't a thing yet. All these apps weren't 
on. And so I just listed on Craigslist for like 60 bucks. I think it paid maybe, what, five bucks worth or something, 10 bucks? No, it was free on the side of the road. It said free. Oh, my, mar- my profit <laughs> margins were good then. So <laughs> That's right. I put it on Craigslist and like the next day, somebody showed up to my house and bought it. I'm like, wow, that was that was pretty easy. So I took that money that I made and then, yeah, I'd rolled it into something else and bought a few more things at another auction. And then it just started snowballing from there to where I think at one time we had like two John Deere A tractors parked in our garage in the middle of town. And we would drive them around the neighborhood. <laughs> With like for sale signs on the back or something? <laughs> no, I drive our just, kids around. Like yeah. we're in the middle of Lincoln and I'm driving these tractors around, which for Nebraska, it's not that big a deal. But you're like, this can be yours. Everybody still yeah. laughed at me. I was afraid that they were going to break down in like the middle of the neighborhood and then we weren't going to have a way to like get them home and it was going to be a whole thing. But they worked. So I started selling all this stuff and then I had this other great idea. I thought, well, maybe I should start selling other people's stuff. That way I don't have to go like hunt for this stuff. And so I created an ad on Craigslist said, hey, let me sell your stuff. I'll just take some of the margin, the profit margin, and you'll get the cash and not have to do any work. So one of my first deals on that was this old lady reached out to me. She's like, hey, I have this Barbie collection that I am trying to sell. And so I started talking to her. It turns out she used to have this doll shop in Lincoln and they would sell Barbies. Well, her husband passed away. And when he passed away, they pretty much just shut the doors. And all these Barbies were just pristine condition left in this basement. And she's like, do you have any interest in selling these Barbies? And I was like, yeah, I could do that. And I, I was like, how many do you have? Oh, like 1,200. Oh, my gosh. And so I had to, I spent how many weeks? In- and it was like six months in this woman's basement. And at no point did I think that he was having an affair. But looking back, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, that wasn't normal. Sure, honey, you're going to look at Barbie. <laughs> yeah, in someone, some woman's basement. So, <laughs> I, so I, I ended up, long story short, I had to categorize all these Barbies. I put them in Excel all the UPC codes and everything, because I was going to list them all individually on like eBay, I think, at the time. And I realized, wow, this is going to take forever. So then I created a listing on Craigslist for 1,200 Barbies. I think the selling price is like 50 grand or something for all these Barbies. It took a while. Eventually, some guy from New Jersey got a hold of me. He's like, he's an Amazon seller. So he wanted to buy the whole lot and then go and list them on Amazon. And we came to a deal. He flew in. We loaded up his big yellow Penske truck and we shipped them out and it was one of the crazier deals. I've never sold Barbies in my life, but that's kind of one of the things that kind of sprung me into the the business side. It of sounds things. like Tradio. You ever listen to Tradio here? In uh-uh. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, now that you're in Kentucky, there's this <laughs> AM show. I can't remember this. I'll look it up anyways. There's this. Hold on. Hold on. Before you tell him, are you going to lead him into something that he doesn't need to do anymore? <laughs> well, he can do this at nights. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've got no. free time on my hands yeah. now. Okay. Continue. Just right at dinner time, you know, yeah. with the kid when the kids are bed, you know. But no, it's, it's just this open marketplace where you call in, you're like, I got this and that. And really? it's like, it's, it's buy and sell. And it's hilarious because it's great people in Kentucky, but characters just listing yeah. random stuff like that. And it's, it's pretty funny. Well, it was about that same time as doing it where like Pawn Stars was really popular, American Pickers storage wars, all those things are coming on. And so it was like, I love those shows and I watch them all the time. And I've, I've tried to buy storage units and stuff like that. And Not tried, you did. You did buy storage units. <laughs> they don't, did. They they don't pan out like the TV show? Let's <laughs> just say I hauled 99% of this guy's trash to the dump in exchange for maybe $100 worth of stuff. <laughs> uh, that would be my biggest nightmare with those. Yeah. It's just, just a bunch of old couches and nastiness. Exactly. <laughs> it was pretty bad. So anyway, where were we? You bought the Barbies, you sold them, and that was kind of your first really large amount of money that you were then able to reinvest into this hobby, mm-hmm. is what we will call it. And that's when you really started buying the tractors, the boats, the... Oh, he went through this one period of time where he was really into buying and selling buckets, like five-gallon buckets, <laughs> and then another... Like an- Home Depot? Buckets? No, there's... Or- yeah, but it was like there's a seed company. The seed would come in these five-gallon buckets, and then they'd have all these, like, excess five-gallon buckets available. So I'd pay a dollar for them, and I'd sell them for, like, three or four, hundreds at a time. Oh, so, I would have bought some of those yeah. for our... We always need five-gallon yeah, buckets. Yeah, I know. Everybody our- needs a five-gallon <laughs> bucket. Yeah. And then he got into windows. That was another thing, because he had a contact at Pella, and so you would get these... Pellet, right? No. No. Okay. Don't. That wasn't window option specialist. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Were they like reject windows or something? No, they were just old salvage windows. They were taking out the old windows and then putting a new one. So these were all just left over. That was a failed venture, by the way. Oh, just because nobody wants to buy used windows? It seemed like a good idea at the time. People were selling them, but not at the quantity that I was getting them at. So I might sell a few here and there, but it didn't work out. 
Kind of your golden nuggets are consistent were, was furniture. So he could do really well on furniture. And lawnmowers did really well until tell him when the police started showing up at her house. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I would one day I, I saw this Honda riding lawnmower on Craigslist and it was super cheap. And I'm like, oh, man, I could buy that and sell that tomorrow for double the money. So I went and bought it, paid the guy cash, brought it home, washed it put on Craigslist the next day. Sure enough, I've got a guy. Hey, is that lawnmower for sale still? I'm like, yeah, come on over. I, I got it. He's like, you take cash? Absolutely. And he comes over with another, these two pretty big guys. And they're in my garage. I'm all by myself. And they're like looking at the mower. They're like strangely looking at the serial numbers on it. And I kind of got this weird feeling. And they're finally they're like confirming like, where did you get this mower? I was like, I just bought it from a guy yesterday. And they're like, they didn't believe me. They're like, are you sure you just got bought this? Because we have a mower just like that just got stolen yesterday. And this is the mower. And we matched up the serial numbers. So they thought I had stole oh, the no. mower. <laughs> they yeah. were coming after me to like beat the hell out of me to get this mower back. And there was nothing I could do about it. So I turned over the mower. The police came and all this stuff. And that wasn't the only time the police showed up. So I, yeah, you I go to imagine these, that's a common thing. Yeah, you go to these auctions and like, especially like university auctions, there's bikes and stuff. And I'd be buying bikes that were stolen and people would see them on Craigslist and report it that some, they found it. And, yeah. So no, the, they finally just kind of got to know us where they would come over and they would <laughs> just, just have to... Con- yeah, don't yeah, worry about him. Just yeah. would have to confirm. But Again, just to clarify, I was not involved in any of this. So I <laughs> I just was an innocent bystander that would go along as he sold all of this crazy stuff. But this was all Ben and his scheming and flipping stuff. And he would be gone all weekend, every weekend, auctions, Saturday, Sunday. He'd be the first one there and last one to leave because they sell the big stuff at the end. So you would have to stick around mm-hmm. all day long and then... He wouldn't be able to transport everything, so he would have to go back the next day to pick the stuff up. I mean, he he bought trucks that didn't run, and we would... Yeah, it was, there was a lot of junk, yeah. for sure. A lot of shit. <laughs> yes. And you're still working your corporate job this whole time. I was. So I was gone a lot. And so then, really, the turning point was our garage was full of stuff. There wasn't any room, and we were expecting our first kid. And these Craigslist people were coming over at all hours of the day and they were showing up at our house. And I was just like, gosh, I don't know. This is kind of feeling a little bit unsafe. Like maybe we get a storage unit. Like, let's try that. And so then one storage unit, I think, turned it into three pretty quickly. And then after our son, our first son was born, I just was like, hey, maybe we don't spend all weekend, every weekend at these auctions. Like, I want to support you and I want you to have your hobby. But like, we've got, you know, this little baby that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> he can come to the auctions. Yeah. <laughs> I spent all night with him wide awake. So. <laughs> that was really kind of the turning point where then Ben's like, OK, well, maybe instead of going to an auction, maybe I start looking just for one thing that I could kind of specialize and bring in. So Tell them about Yeah, that. so I went to school for agronomy and horticulture, like I mentioned, with an emphasis in viticulture, which is the science of growing grapes. So as part of that, I worked with all of the wineries and grape growers in Nebraska, which is very few, surprisingly enough. And after she said no more auctions and estate sales anymore, I was like, well, what can I buy that I can get kind of consistently and that's unique? And so I did some research and just thought about it for a while. And finally, I landed on like, well, man, these wineries are using wine barrels and nobody's selling wine barrels in this area, like nowhere, not any, in any other states or anywhere at all that I could find. And so I decided I was going to buy, I think I bought 40 Chardonnay barrels, California Chardonnay barrels. And I didn't buy them directly from a winery. I bought them from another barrel broker and they were crazy expensive by the time they got shipped to us. But anyway, I bought 40 of them. I didn't know what I was doing. They showed up to my parents' farm, which is just south of Lincoln. I had we didn't have anywhere to ship them to because they came on a big 53-foot truck. And so I just had them sent there. They showed up, they opened the door, and it was just me and my mom there <laughs> trying to roll these things <laughs> yeah. out. And we're like, oh damn, what are we gonna do? These are 120 pounds. The truck's five feet off the ground almost. And so my mom and I are rolling these barrels off the back of this FedEx truck. Thankfully, your mom is always down for any adventure. Yeah. She's yep. she was in. So luckily she was there. I stored these barrels in my parents' pole shed for a long time. And the original intention was just to sell them for like furniture and decor. So I was selling them for, I don't know, probably 300 bucks a piece, which was crazy expensive at the time and put them on Craigslist. And I started selling a few here and there. They weren't selling as fast as I thought they should have been selling. And eventually somebody told me, hey, Ben, you know, craft breweries are now using barrels to age their beer. And it was about that time where the craft brewing thing was just blowing up. 
And so- What year is this, by the way? So this was like 2014, I think, is when I bought- 2015. First barrels. 2014. I okay. looked it up. Agree to just yeah. 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 Our shirts say 2015, but I'm pretty sure it might be 2014. Okay. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't actually officially incorporated. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But anyway, so I was like, well, I got to sell these barrels to breweries now. So I had to have a marketing strategy. So my marketing strategy was to throw a barrel in the back of my pickup. I would drive to brewery, to brewery, to brewery, and these Chardonnay barrels smelled amazing. So I drove to these breweries and I pulled up and I was like, hey, do you guys do any barrel aging or any beer and barrels yet? And most of them were like, no, we've been thinking about it, but just not have, just haven't gotten into it yet. It's kind of expensive. And I was like, well, I'm here right in town. I'm selling these Chardonnay barrels. You could put your beer in those. Do you want to come out and smell the bunghole of my barrel? <laughs> and Who they're all like, yeah. <laughs> they're all like, oh, what? No, I don't think so. Well, one guy did come out and smell that bunghole <laughs> and he started buying barrels from us right away. And it's a brewery that's no longer operating in Lincoln, but they really helped me get everything going. So they started buying wine barrels and they started wanting bourbon barrels and some other types of stuff. And so that's what really led me into going and finding more unique types of barrels. So I sold that first load of like 40 barrels within, I don't know, probably six months. And then I was like, well, I'm going to take that money now and roll it into another load. So then I went directly to California and bought a full truckload of barrels and brought those to Nebraska. And that was a mix of like port and tequila and red wine, white wine, and a, a, just a variety of stuff and started selling those to, to breweries. Is winery, is it like a three-time use? Is that what they typically do? Or? It depends on the winery. What we were buying at the time are called neutral barrels. So at that point, the oak has pretty much all been extracted, oak flavor out yeah. of the barrel. And to wineries, they're not usable anymore. So yeah, three, four times typically. But the breweries still want them and they can get a little bit of oak flavor and they can get that wine flavor yeah, sure. out of them. So were you going direct to California to go to these wineries or whatever? Or are you still dealing with uh, so middlemen people at I think this point? At that time, since I want to get a variety of stuff, I was working with a broker in California. So again, I was still going through a middleman to get to the barrels, which drove up my price. But that was really the only way I could get a variety without having to buy a whole truckload of tequila or a whole truckload of port or whatever. Right. So at what point did you say, well, I don't need another middle person. Like, how do I become the middle person? Yeah, it took a long time to get to that point because we've never taken an investment up to this point. It's always just started with that first little bit of profit that I made on that sprayer. And so it took a long time to build up the cash in order to buy full truckloads of barrels because it doesn't make sense to buy smaller quantities because the shipping price per barrel is just too monstrous. And so the only way it makes sense logistically is to buy a whole truckload at a time typically. And so I was saving up my money and I think that first load I put like half of it on a credit card and had cash for the other half. And it was a pretty big risk for us to take that. Because with empty barrels and a, a full truck, and it like how many like how many 90, bar- I think. 90 barrels on a 90 truck? I forget. Wine barrels, you can fit like 264. Oh, okay. And bourbon barrels, you can fit 288. 288. Oh, foot truck. yeah. Because they're oh. empty. Oh, because they're empty. empty yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 90, 90 per layer. Basically. And they're stacked three high. Yeah. God, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So yeah. the whole time that Ben was doing this, he was working his full-time job and he was going to school. So he would go to the university and he'd be working and then he'd get a call from a truck driver. And again, we, one year we moved five times in one year because we were, we would fill up our space and move to a different space. But he was just bouncing back and forth. So I went from saying, hey, maybe you stay home on the weekends to like living this massively chaotic life. And mind you, we knew nothing about barrels. So the day that I came home in the summer and there were eight barrels in my <laughs> lawn and he was watering them with a um, sprinkler. sprinkler. <laughs> I, I was like, what are you doing? Well, you keep like, wet, they're, right? they're dry. I mean, he's like, I've, I've got to swell them up. And I mean, we've since learned there's other ways to swell barrels. <laughs> Hit him with the sprinkler. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it, yeah, it was very entertaining. And so at what point did you come into the picture then? Yeah. So Ben, he did this by himself really from 2015 until 2018. And he built our very first website. It was a a Wix website. So he had this brilliant idea of there's nowhere online that you can buy a barrel, not a single, single place. What if I put a barrel on a website and you could buy it? And I'll never forget the day that somebody bought that barrel and we're like, somebody just paid us on a website like that. That really happened. Like I have no idea how to ship this thing. How do I <laughs> ship this now? Yeah. I sold it, but they paid like $200 for the barrel and then probably another $250 to ship it. 
was like, wow, what the hell? How do I would pack this thing up? That? I know exactly how to do it because I've done it myself. You roll that <laughs> thing in plastic, you yep. drive it on UPS, <laughs> exactly. slap a label on it. Yeah. They'll deliver it. Yeah, yep. they will. So, I mean, he just like hustled really, really hard for a few years by himself. And we had another kid in that time. So then we're toting around two kids and we would spend the weekends going back and forth to a storage unit or a warehouse, wherever we had upgraded to at that point. And in 2018, we hired our very first employee and he was awesome. He was with us for about a year and then decided to move to Colorado. Then at that point, that was when we knew we had to fill a position and it was like, all right, this thing has gotten kind of out of control. We either need to like make this a real business or this is an out of control hobby that we need to shut it down. Yeah. How many and, barrels were you moving at the time? Oh, I don't, not, not that many, probably <laughs> a thousand a year. Well, that's still Total a lot. Guess. Of like, yeah. I, so about that time, I think we had 1200 square foot warehouse. So it was tiny. Oh man, that's tight. And like, I'd go over there in the mornings and palletize all these barrels to ship out and I have to put them all in the parking lot and line them up. Who were the main customers there? It was all crap breweries. Crap breweries, okay. Yeah. So all over the Midwest, all over the country, those were the main customers at that time. Yeah. So we we decided let's give it a whirl and I quit my job and kind of the rest is... She was trying to quit her job for a long time before <laughs> I actually gave in, but she kind of just likes to push herself into things. And I said, no, no, no. And then it's like one day she just showed up. She's like, here, I'm ready to work. I'm CEO now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yep. pretty much that's not, that's yeah, not business wrong. Business cards ready? Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so when you came in, did you see changes that need to be made or process improvements or say like, how are we going to scale this? Yeah. So the Ben, as you mentioned, his background is not in business and it kind of ended up working perfectly because what we've learned through this partnership is that I'm not scrappy and I can't do things with no money. And Ben is super scrappy and he can do things. I mean, he will learn. He learned how to be our accountant. So he, you know, learned QuickBooks backwards and forwards. He learned how to build a website. He was the salesperson. Like he did all the things. And that is not me. And so I'm good at building teams. And so I'm really great at creating a vision, bringing people into that vision and really hiring great people that are going to come alongside and be a part of what we're creating. So had I come in any earlier, I think I would have really frustrated us as marriage partners because I would have wanted to do things much quicker. And I mean, that's still even today that that is kind of how it works, where I'm always like pushing things probably 10 steps forward. And he's like, hey, let's slow down and think about X, Y, Z. And so I think we balance each other out. But the very first thing that I did was I built a new website for us. So that was, we knew that people wanted to shop online and I wanted to take that buying experience from, hey, I need one barrel to put in my yard for decor to allowing breweries to really at scale purchase at whatever volume they want and to get an accurate shipping quote. Because that's the biggest thing when you're when you're shipping these is how much is it going to cost to get from point A to point B. And so that project alone really took most of my first year, but it was a complete game changer for us. Yeah, it's kind of as starting our own businesses and this and that. It's like, I feel like we're kind of similar here is that you get kind of the technician mindset where you're mm -hmm. constantly just do, 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 whatever it takes, isn't that? But you lose like the overall vision and where it needs to go and the people and the processes and stuff. So it sounds like a good balance of how hard was it though for you to be like, let go of some of that stuff. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns. 
from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. When it's derby season, the city of Louisville comes alive, and happening on Thursday, April 11th, is the Republic Bank Kentucky Derby Festival's Bourbonville. This is the third straight year Bourbonville will take place at the Fraser History Museum. Enjoy signature drinks, bourbon-inspired cuisine, access to museum exhibits, and tons of other bourbon vendors such as Elijah Craig, Four Gate, Four Roses, Kentucky Peerless, Pursuit Spirits, Castle and Key, and so many more. General admission is only $75, and that includes all your food, drinks, and museum admission. Go ahead, buy tickets now at kdf.org for Bourbonville. How hard was it, though, for you to be like, let go of some of that stuff? I realized that I did not actually teach myself accounting when we hired her CFO. And he's like, what true. the hell did you just do for the last three years? Because this is all screwed up. I'm going to spend the first year of my job here fixing everything from the last three years and getting it all straight. But yeah, it's been hard to give up all of the areas. And now we in our new warehouse here, I'm not even allowed to go in the warehouse anymore because I don't have steel-toed shoes and I got to wear a bright vest so I don't get run over by a forklift and I got to walk in the lanes. So it's like I used to do everything and now I don't do anything. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like your dream come true. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Sounds like what a business, yeah, business gets on autopilot at some point. So I guess kind of talk about if you're moving a thousand barrels a year, what was that next phase like? What did growth start looking like? And how do you turn the sales knob up to 11 at this point? And how do you, A, you find the new suppliers, but B, find the new customers? Mm-hmm. So 2019, that was the year that we built that Really, it was kind of a third version of of our website, but that we decided to make a, a large investment. And so our team was still really small that year. But then 2020, we had decided, okay, this is going to be the year that we really build out our team and that we really hit the gas pedal. And so we hired a business developer. So that would be an example of something that Ben had to, had to give up and a CFO. So both at the same time. And then COVID hit. And I watched other businesses get really scared really fast. And I had kind of the exact opposite mindset of, well, how can we hit the gas pedal? If everybody else is slowing down right now, how can we hit go? And so I remember we didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do, right? So we saw all of these breweries that were laying off all of their employees because they had no idea what was going to happen. And so I led the charge of organizing a fundraiser for the Nebraska breweries. And so we put together just, again, the fundraiser really wasn't a success in the sense of raising a lot of money. But I think there was a lot it did for the morale for our team and for the brewing community and for the people that were our customers, because it said, we want to make sure that we're all being taken care of. And it really gave our team a sense of focus, even when you couldn't go to our warehouse because it was closed. And so I think that that just kind of propelled us in 2020 to look at things different. And then we did not let our foot off the gas. I mean, it was just like straight go for all of 2020. And so that really was the pivotal year for us that just drastically changed everything. It was really tough to make the decision to like hire a salesperson because we didn't know if the sales were out there. And so it was kind of a leap of faith. So we hired our director of business development, who's still with us today, Ethan, and he still handles all of our domestic craft brewery sales. But we hired him not knowing like if you could even go out there and make sales. Like me selling, I was never actively selling. I wasn't calling, cold calling, cold emailing very much. It was just kind of- people smell bung holes. No, I wasn't doing any bung <laughs> Is that hole. target process <laughs> today? <laughs> oh, actually, we do have a lot of people that come and want to smell the barrels. But no, we hired Ethan and we're like, just go after it. And he has- taken the sales part of our business and just run with it. And since we hired him, it's probably been one of the better decisions we ever made. Is that the majority of your customer base? Is the brewery still? It's probably a, what, like a 50-50 split between domestic craft breweries or other distilleries and then like international stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then we also- How'd you get into that side of the things? International? Yeah. So it's happened just in the last couple of years, and it's mostly been fueled by the extreme demand for barrels from Ireland, Scotland, China, Japan, all these other countries. 
And there's obviously only one place you can get bourbon barrels, and that's here in the U.S. And so we've just had people knocking down our doors that it's taken very little effort to sell them. Now, that might change here in the next few years if demand loosens back up. But we just kind of, I don't want to say fell into it, but we were prepared for it, and we've run with it. So, And that's totally a volume game. You just got to ship as many barrels as fast as you can. Yeah, sure. Is it kind of like, I would assume it's like not day trading, but it's like a commodity, I guess, somewhat? Yeah, it's kind of a commodity. Luckily, we have several customers that they tell us how many barrels they're going to need for the next year. So like we're working with just a handful of international customers and then we're just fulfilling orders for them on a daily basis. So filling container after container after container. What's it like navigating all those like different international laws and regulations? Is it's it not, is it bad or no? It's not that difficult. No, every country has a little bit of different paperwork that's required, but since we're shipping empty barrels, there's sure. not really yeah. any Yeah, don't get in the full barrel game no, like us. That's I think we have it pretty easy <laughs> compared to the full barrel stuff and shipping alcohol. The one thing that I'm really proud of that we've done is we've always been very nimble and flexible. So when you're asking how do we get into international, we've always been willing to say a little bit of a yes, where let's try it and let's see how it goes. And if it doesn't, if an idea doesn't work, we scrap it. And if it does, then we're willing to really lean into it. And so I'm really proud of us for doing this. That's how we've grown our international businesses. It wasn't like we woke up one day and saw this massive opportunity in the international market. And we thought we have no experience in this and we're going to go all in. That's just not how it has happened. And so I think that that has really worked in our favor where we try not to go in blind because some countries are easier to work with than than others. And even some countries, everybody, even if it's a second language, everyone speaks English and in other countries they don't. And so it's been really beneficial for us to strategically find the right partners that are weak because we try to be very easy to work with. And so we want customers that are easy to work with as well which we've found countries that are not easy to work with and we tend to steer clear of those. So yeah. for example, a customer in India, they wanted to buy a container from us and we're like, oh yeah, sure, no worries, we can do that for you. And they're like, well, can we send an inspector in to look at them? We're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Nobody really does that, but I guess if you want to. And so we lined up this inspector. This is while we were still in Nebraska. And so they send in this inspector who has no idea what he's doing. He's never looked at a barrel in his life. He inspects like, You're like pork processing plant. <laughs> yeah. So this guy shows up and he's ready to inspect these barrels. And there's 210 barrels up with in a his container. Girlfriend. Oh, yeah. With his girlfriend. Never seen a barrel in his life. He inspects like pork industry stuff. And he shows up and he's got this whole checklist. He's got to check every single barrel for cracks, for like rusty rings, for all like this whole rusty rings. List. That's yeah. like that's part like, of that's the pretty common. Process. And I was like, so what? You just need to do a sample, right? Like take 10 of these barrels and just do a sample test. He's like, no, I have to look at every single one of them. And I was like, what are you talking about? We're not going to pull down. And these are stacked like on pallets five high in our warehouse. I'm like, I'm not going to pull down all these barrels for you. He's like, well, that's what I've been told to do. So that's what we got to do. I'm like, all right. Well, he started going through all of them and he pulled out probably 90% of them that were considered not to his specs. And so we told that customer that no more barrels for you. Yeah, we're, we're done telling with <laughs> yeah, this. It's not worth it. That's no. a bad customer right there. So it sounds like sometimes you find those customers, but how are you finding some of the suppliers? I mean, I know that we had met at an event and you're like, hey, mm-hmm. Kenny, yeah. let me know when you got barrels. I'll buy. Is it as simple as that? Is it a very cutthroat industry where you've got to go against a bunch of different suppliers and you got to make your phone calls to the big distillers and be like, hey, we'll offer you $5 more per barrel or something like that? Like, how's that game played? Yeah, so they don't want to give away the secrets. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we, when we first got into but it, just it was, know that if you try to get into mm-hmm. it, they're gonna they're gonna outbid you anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> when I first got into it, there was no competition at all. Like you could call up any distillery, oh, I mean, yeah, not any, but like barrels, away. like they couldn't give them away. Like Jack Daniels, I think, was burning their barrels for a while. So I heard, and it was not an issue at all. Just within the last couple of years after COVID, the international demand has gone up so much that it is a cutthroat business now, and that's one of the main reasons we moved down here because. I found out a few years ago that it's all about your connections in the industry and who you know. And we've made a lot of really good connections being in Nebraska, but just being down here in Kentucky now has been a total game changer for us where I can walk into a distillery. I've talked to these people on the phone. I've talked to them via email, but actually to look at them face to face and put a face to the name. And that's really what does the trick. And just knowing the right people has been huge. Yeah. Yeah. So Ben still does. He leads up all of our procurement efforts. And that's always when he talks about not giving things up, that's always been his thing that he loves. Because if you think back to his 
Craigslist start, just picture him being at an auction and like raising his finger or his number over and over again and like finally getting that sale. Like that's really what gave him the thrill of it. It wasn't necessarily the sale side and getting rid of that item. It was like beating your competition at the auction. Like that's what he really loved. And so the procurement side of things is definitely, he loves building those connections and he loves making a deal. And so that's been an area that he still has continued to keep. And that really speaks to his strengths because again, he's super easy to work with. He's super likable. And and that's, we've kind of built our business model around that. Like we just want to make buying barrels as absolute simple as possible. So whatever that means to each seller, that's what we try. We try to meet each seller at that point and just make it super, super simple. Yeah. The other nice thing is we have an outlet for all types of barrels. So I'm not going into a distillery and saying, you can only sell me your number one select barrels and they have to be gone through. We'll literally, we just make it super easy. So anything you have, put it on a truck, whether it's a coal, which is like a barrel that's not refillable anymore. If it's a freshly empty barrel, we'll take that too. Even if it's barrel parts like rings, staves, heads, we'll take all that stuff as well because we have another market for that. So in addition to our B2B side, we sell a ton of stuff to D to C. So like we sell all the parts, we sell the heads, the rings, the staves. If we can't sell it that way, we actually turn it into to smoking wood, like barbecue smoking wood. So we'll chunk the barrels up into chunks and chips. And then we actually make bourbon barrel pellets now as well. And so like that's one of our or like the Traeger grill. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. And so that's been a huge thing for us. So it take all this stuff that would originally be like waste material stuff that would get thrown away. We can actually turn it into a valuable product. And I think that that's where, again, we've kind of been great partners for each other because Ben has always been very creative and thinking about how do I take one product and again, he was taking other people's junk and making money off of it, right? So he's really great at looking at the whole part of it. But beyond that, it's a sustainability effort for us. Like we don't want to be throwing any of the waste away because we don't view it as waste. And so we've tried to be very creative to think about how could we repurpose this to other avenues. And that's been something that's super critical to us. And the smoking wood is really great because that has opened up a whole different market of people that maybe would not even be a barrel consumer to begin with. But we make 100% products so we don't use any fillers in our pellets where I believe that we still may be the only company out there that's doing a pure 100% bourbon barrel pellet where the other brands all have some type of filler. I don't know that for sure, but from the research I've done, that's kind of- Yeah, and the barbecue market's huge. It is. Yeah, yeah, we see it. There's probably more potential there than there is for used barrels if you can get into like some of these big box stores. And we've thought about going that direction, but if we get an order from like Home Depot for 100,000 bags, we're going to be screwed because we're all making this (laughs) stuff like in-house right now. So that's one thing that we're looking to move into in the future is more automated production of that product. That's very cool. I mean, this has been, it's quite an interesting story in how this happens. And it seems like you've got really your your head nearly nearly really focused on the, the bourbon barrel side. And at the very beginning, you said, well, we'll do wine, we'll do tequila. I mean, are you still venturing out, finding different things from different distilleries? And I guess you could say different distilleries, wineries Mm -hmm. from Mexico, wherever it is. Yeah, we continue to bring in tequila barrels from Mexico. We just brought in a container of scotch barrels. So those will go to craft breweries around the country. We're working on all sorts of different special barrels. So rum, gin, we do maple syrup. So bourbon barrels that were used to age maple syrup, we'll buy those back from the maple producer and then sell those again to craft breweries or even distilleries now are using barrels like that for finishing, obviously. We've got a container on the way right now from France, I think, which has a bunch of different things in it sherry, cognac, all sorts of crazy things. And those will primarily go to distilleries for finishing. I'm glad to hear you not say Amberana. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Do you need (laughs) Amberana? It sounds like he can probably get it for you. I've heard you talk about Amberana before. (laughs) (laughs) It's no good. (laughs) It doesn't matter. I I think pursuit bourbon would taste good in Amberana. Yeah, so last year, Ben did a big trip to Mexico to source tequila barrels. And so that was about this time last year and just really strengthened our partnerships with tequila distilleries. And then going into this next year, kind of similarly, we've got great sources in Europe, but we want to continue strengthening those partnerships. So we are going to Europe next year, Ben. So we'll see. Get some Spanish. She wants to bring the kids. That's the problem. You just did that. I just did. I can teach you all the tips and tricks. Yeah. Yeah. See, I wouldn't. I'd be like, it's not a vacation. That's a long plane ride to take an eight and a six year old. Oh, mine loved it. They're like TV and the screen the whole time. They bring me (laughs) snacks every few hours. (laughs) For what it's worth, they'll be nine and seven. And we are going to bring someone to help with childcare. And it's a part business trip and part 
fun. Three weeks. Hack some Benadryl. That's right. <laughs> For me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I'm really tired. <laughs> All day, every day. <laughs> but I do, I think tequila, I mean, I think Jack Daniels just came out with one of tequila, but I think that's a interesting vessel for bourbon. I think the flavors are there. I think there's just a perception thing that consumers have to get their mind past, like, oh, bourbon and tequila together. But yeah. I really like that, those combinations. Yeah. Tequila barrels are interesting because the tequila distilleries just do not take care of their barrels and they'll use them to their very end of their life. And they just keep refilling them over and over and over and over. And like, if you go to a distillery and you want to buy a truckload of barrels, and we've done this before when we first started, but like 75% of them would be bad, like not even fillable. They'd be bone dry. The rings were falling off. They'd be falling apart. But now that we've gotten some pretty good contacts in the industry down there. And so we can tell them like, hey, as soon as you dump these barrels, put a bung in them. Don't let them sit outside in the rain. We'll set them under truck. a sprinkler. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just making, they, they don't see value in those barrels when they're done with them. But if you can educate them and say, hey, we'll pay you for these barrels, yeah. pretty good money, then they'll take care of them for you. I mean, that was a big part of the focus of the trip last year was just the education piece and trying to teach them that we want the product that they just see as waste. And so we've had, you know, some decent success with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I also kind of want to talk about scale a little bit because we had mentioned starting in a garage, then to a pole barn, then to or a few different units into a pole barn, into whatever. <laughs> what are you working with nowadays? As in like how many barrels? Well, I mean, just like what you're storing and what's the turnover rate when you get barrels in, how fast you're getting them out and the square footage warehouse that you're dealing with. So our warehouse right now is, I think, just under 45,000 square feet. When we were in Lincoln, we were at 25,000. So we almost doubled our warehouse space there. And then we try and turn them as quickly as possible. So like last week, our warehouse was totally full, but we shipped several containers last week. And so now it's relatively empty until we unload all these trailers again. So it turns pretty quick and we try and turn it as quickly as possible. One of the biggest limiting factors right now is just the logistics side of it. So there's always some sort of delay. So a delay in containers to get delivered, a delay in like the rail line, the cut gets pushed back or something like that. There's just all these variables that delay us from getting the barrels in and out. So I like to say we like to turn our warehouse every couple of weeks as far as like full-size 53-gallon bourbon barrels go, like the wine barrels and tequila and things like that. They'll sit a little bit longer. We also sell a lot of small format barrels for homebrewing and things like that. And those will last longer. But every couple of weeks, we turn our bourbon inventory. To be able to keep those fresh, you're bunging them and do you wrap them in plastic or something like that? Or what's the process that you do? The key is just to get them in and out as quickly as possible. So when we get a trailer in, We'll unload it right away. And then usually within a week, it'll be back onto a container. And those barrels are going to Ireland or Scotland or Australia or whatever. They'll sit on a container for another month or two. So they're going to dry out in that container a little bit over time anyway. So the faster we can get on that container in the freshest state possible, the better. And that's one thing that we've worked really well with the distilleries. We'll pick those barrels up right away when they're dumped and get them back and then unloaded. And then we have a temperature control warehouse too. So that helps a lot. What was the thing on Instagram where I saw y'all like steaming barrels? What is that for? So wine barrels, for example, or like these scotch barrels that we'll get from overseas or other specialty barrels. A lot of times the customers will request that we swell them or steam them because they're more prone to leaking if they sit dry for a couple months. And so just as a precautionary step to swell them back up, they want them steamed. That kind of cleans them, but the main focus is just to keep to swell them up and does, and it, get them does to any seal. flavor get sacrificed when you do that or not typically on those. The nice thing is the flavor's pretty well locked in there. And then as long as you dump that liquid back out, like it'll steam, it'll cause a little bit of liquid in the barrel, it'll stay in that in that barrel. So but we don't do that to bourbon barrels, we don't do it to whiskey barrels. It's strictly specialty barrels on customer requests. So you made like a barrel sauna? That's kind of what it looks like. Oh, my goodness. Steamer. Oh, we thought oh, about no. doing that. So oh, I wanted no. to make like an igloo with barrels, and then we were going to put a barrel in the middle and start steaming it, and then like all the guys are going to put on towels and sit around this <laughs> this, this barrel in the middle. <laughs> It'll be a barrel steamer. Trey Zoller's next release. Yeah. I like the way you think. The next podcast episode can... There you go. Well, we're new new location. Yeah. yeah. We'll do it. We'll do the steam and then do a cold plunge. Yes. Go back and forth. We'll get the hot rocks going. We'll ladle some some water on yeah. it. And yeah. Easy enough. Ben it smells amazing, though, when you steam those barrels. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Ben has had lots of very unique ideas for how to use barrels, and some we implement and some we don't. <laughs> what are some of the ones you don't? Uh, I'm how, curious. I don't know if I can say this on a podcast, but you can say whatever you want. Well, we've, we've had people buy them for like urns and things like that to put remains in. 
taxidermy. We've had what we mean for taxidermy, just to like put like, like mount a deer head on it or something, or okay. like a we'll fox. Or, oh, okay, yeah. got it. I, got you. I thought you meant like throw a little dead parts. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, well, we got to store, we got to get rid of this somehow. There we go. One of the more bizarre ones that we found, a guy started buying barrels from us and started to make like these sexual things where you would sit on top of the barrel. And oh my you God. Imagine. Yeah. Don't so. wanna, never mind. I ain't going to say yeah. that. <laughs> I don't want to go any more detail. I know where Ryan's head's going on this one. <laughs> <There's, Yeah>. Don't <laughs> want to smell that bunghole. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you've got a great varied definition of how we find customers and how you find the suppliers, because it sounds like it's just, it's a big networking game at the end of the day yeah. and making sure that you have a, a state. And like I said, for me, when you're talking about turning things over in a week, as somebody that would work in that business, I would feel like every day is a fire drill because it's like, we got to get this in, we got to get this out. How important is it to know what the pipeline looks like of these are the sales coming in, this is what people are asking for, this is what we have coming in, where are the gaps? So that's been a big change for us and something that I feel like I've really been able to help drive forward because when Ben was, you know, riding solo on this thing, there was no planning. So he was just buying whatever he thought he might be able to sell and then calling customers on the back end. And you're right, it is a fire drill. And so the thing that allows the fire drill to continue to work are the systems and processes. So when new hires come on, I try to always warn them, like, we have a lot of tech and you wouldn't think about it when you just look at our business model, but we try to leverage software everywhere across the business because it just, we can operate with many less people when you have the software to support it. And so the planning has become increasingly important, especially as the the demand for the for used barrels has been at an all-time high. Because if we don't know how many barrels we're going to have access to, then it's hard for us to commit to customers, especially international customers, that they want to plan a year at a time. So that has certainly changed a lot. And, you know, Ben, I'll let you speak to, because you're the one that's, you know, having to execute on a lot of the planning. What What has it been like from your perspective? I mean, I'm still buying everything that I get my hands on. So, it so you're not planning is what you're saying. <laughs> That's not my area. Like I said, we we like to make it as seamless and easy for our vendors. And so literally we'll buy everything. Now I am a little bit selective. Like if somebody wants to sell me a container of Virgin Island rum barrels, like those are pretty terrible and I've got a bunch of them and I shouldn't have bought the last batch. So now I know that I don't want to buy 210 Virgin Island rum barrels because they're super leaky. Oh, okay. Um, I was about to say why. It's the same as like tequila barrels. Like they get stored on an island and the humidity just wreaks havoc on them. The bands bust off of them and they're always in rough shape. And then the demand just isn't there as much as it used to be. Rum barrels are for craft breweries. They're they're not as hot as they used to be. So it's kind of just living and learning. But luckily we have, like, if, if I can't sell those barrels as whole barrels, well, we'll turn them into chunks or chips, rum chunks and chips. So we have an outlet for them or we could sell them as parts. And so I still try and buy pretty much everything that I get my hands on, especially small format barrels. We haven't talked about that, but we have a huge network of home brewers and craft distillers, home distillers, and they buy these little 5, 10, 15 gallon barrels from us. And we sell tons of those and they'll last forever. So like a small barrel, 15-gallon barrel, it'll stay hydrated for far longer than a 53-gallon barrel. So they can sit and we can store them until they get sold. But as far as like technology goes, we are a very tech-heavy company. We just implemented a inventory process or inventory management system, which has been horrible to try and do, but it is better in the long run. Now they're wanting us to barcode every single barrel, wow. scan it in, scan it out, we're still working on that, but just trying to keep track of our inventory other than in like QuickBooks or on a spreadsheet has been a huge, huge change for us. But our customers, they they do want to know where the barrel has been and where like they love the story. And I think that I never thought that I would be selling barrels like I never would have envisioned this for myself. But like the thing that draws me to the industry is how storied it is and how every single bourbon has a story. And then when you take it to the next level and you're going to put a beer in it, they want to continue on that story. And so with barcoding and inventory management, we see that as a stepping stone for us to better equip our customers to know and understand the story of the beverage that ultimately the consumer really cares about it. They want to know, are you going to pay, I don't even know, what's the a high-end 
barrel-aged beer going for these days. 30, 40 bucks for like a 750. Yeah. And the right market, right brewery, definitely. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But so if you're going to pay that price, you want to know the full story. Like you're invested. And so... And it better have wax on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Better, yes. <laughs> and, and a fun color wax as exactly. well. So that's where I see, yes, adding an inventory management system has been painful to the people that have been doing this from the beginning, Ben. <laughs> but it's going to be what really translates to the end consumer. And that's what I'm really passionate about is taking that from the very beginning of the bourbon and the barrel and then translating that all the way down to that craft beer. And that's that's a super fun part for me. I've loved the story from the beginning to the end. I think what you all built is it's cool. cool. It's I mean, it's just like it's a story that's it's scrappy. It's entrepreneurship. It's hard work. And I'm just excited to see where this is going to go for you all. It's been fun to kind of understand exactly how it all started. And it's a whole different side of the industry that we've never touched on the show before. So I want to say thank you again for coming on and being able to share this with us. So, Appreciate you having us. Great for your phone to blow up. <laughs> if you have your one, so, so, yeah. you know where to find us. Well, I, that's give them the push. Like, so if they do have barrels to sell or people want to buy barrels from you, email me. Barrel that's ben. what I, yeah, it's not Barrel Ben. I, well, that's, okay. that's my Instagram, which I don't do. So email me, ben at midwestbarrelco.com. There we go. Yeah. And we'll buy everything. And then check out the website at midwestbarrelco.com as yep, well. Yeah, midwestbarrelco.com. If you're a customer, you can go there and shop and buy barrels right on our website with ever having to talk to Ethan. Or if you want to talk to Ethan, you can call him <laughs> and talk to Ethan and he'll sell you barrels. But uh, for yeah. introverts and extroverts, you know, <laughs> yes. there's exactly. a product for you. I mean, We're, if you just try to meet the consumer wherever they are, you want to talk right. to a human, yep. we've got one. You want to just do it online, we've got you there too. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, so make sure you follow Midwest Barrel Company. Check out their website. This has just been a fun story. So I want to say thank you again for coming on. It's really awesome. But make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit. If you like the show, leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everything like that as well. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time. Toodles. Toodles.